Okay, so we're reading from Heaven on Earth by Puritan Thomas Brooks, a book on assurance, which is of interest to every Christian, really. Um, we're breaking up chapter two into three sections. We've recorded section one already. That's because chapter two has 59 pages in it. Um, and this chapter, chapter two, is called Weighty Propositions Concerning Assurance. So this is 2B. And uh, as with um, many Puritan books, there's lots of sections and subsections and subsections of subsections to subsections. Um, so my recommendation is that rather, trying to, rather than trying to get our heads around all of the numbers, we just listen to the wonderful material and benefit thereby. So we start here. God requires some believers to wait long for assurance. The fourth proposition is this, that is, that God may deny assurance long and yet give it in to his children at last, after patient waiting. God appears to David and brings him out of a horrible pit, or out of a pit of noise, and sets his feet upon a rock, and puts a new song in his mouth. Psalm 40 verses 1 to 4. After the church in the canticles had run through many hazards and hardships, many difficulties and dangers, she finds him whom her soul loved. Chapter 3 verse 5. The prophet sits down and bewails his sad condition thus, Psalm 69, verses 3 and 20. I am weary of my crying, my throat is dried, mine eyes fail while I wait on my God. And I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. I, but at last God appears, and then it says he, I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Verse 30. Job sighs it out. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. Job 8, 9. But after this sighing, he sings it out. Till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast, and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Mr. Frogmorton was as holy and as choice a preacher as most was in England in those days, and he lived seven and thirty years without assurance, and then died, having assurance, but an hour before he died. He went to die at Mr. Dodd's, who is now with the Lord, and he did die there in full assurance of the justification of his person the remission of his sins, and the salvation of his soul. God denied assurance a great while to Mr. Glover, the martyr, though he sought it with many prayers and tears, and yet when he was in sight of the fire, the Lord shined forth in his favour so sweetly upon him that he cries out to his friend, He is come! He is come! So Mrs. Catherine Bet Bretridge, Bretridge after many bitter conflicts with Satan, the day before she died, she had sweet assurance of that kingdom that shakes not, of those riches that corrupt not, and of that crown of righteousness that fades not away. I have read of three martyrs that were bound and brought to the stake. One of them, Mr. Hudson, gets from under his stake to supplication and falls down upon the ground and wrestles earnestly with God for the sense of his love, and God gave it him then at that instant, and so he came and embraced the stake, and died cheerfully and resolutely a glorious martyr. God delayed till he was bound, 
and then lets out himself sweetly and gloriously to him. Now God doth delay the giving of assurance to his dearest ones, and that partly to let them know that he will be waited on, and that assurance is a jewel worth waiting for. The least smile from God when our glass is running will make our souls amends for all their waiting, and partly that we may know that he is free in his workings, and that he is not tied to any preparations or qualifications in the creature, but is free to come when he will, and go when he will, and stay as long as he will, though the soul doth sigh it out. How long, Lord, how long will it be before my mourning be turned into rejoicing? Again God delays the giving in of assurance, not because he delights to keep his children in fears and doubts, nor because he thinks that assurance is too rare, too great, too choice a jewel to bestow upon them, but it is either because he thinks their souls do not stand at a sufficient distance from sin, or because their souls are so taken up and filled with creature enjoyments as that Christ is put to lodge in an outhouse, or else it is because they pursue not after assurance with all their might. They give not all diligence to make their calling and election sure, or else it is because their hearts are not prepared, are not low enough for so high a favour. Now God's delaying assurance upon these weighty grounds should rather work us to admire him, to justify him, and to quietly wait for him, than to have any hard thoughts of him, or to carry it unkindly to him, or impatiently to say, Why is his chariot so long a coming? Judges 5.28 Assurance may be possessed and afterwards lost. The fifth proposition is this, that those choice souls that have assurance may lose it, they may forfeit it. The freshness and greenness, the beauty, lustre and glory of assurance may be lost. It is true believers cannot lose the habits, the seeds, the root of grace, yet they may lose assurance which is the beauty and fragrance, the crown and glory of grace, 1 John 3, 9, 1 Peter 1, 5. These two lovers, grace and assurance, are not are not by God so nearly joined together, but that they may be sent by sin on our side and justice on God's be put asunder. The keeping of these two lovers, grace and assurance, together will yield the soul two heavens, a heaven of joy and peace here, and a heaven of happiness and blessedness hereafter. But the putting these two lovers asunder will put the soul into a hell here, though it escape a hell hereafter. This Chrysostom knew well when he professed that the want of the enjoyment of God would be a far greater hell to him than the feeling of any punishment. As you would keep your Christ, as you would keep your comfort, as you would keep your crown, keep grace and assurance together, neither by lip nor life, by word nor works, let these be put asunder. It is possible for the best of men so to blot and blur their evidences for felicity and glory as that they may not be able to read them nor understand them. They may so vex and grieve the spirit either by gross enormities or by refusing his comforts and cordials or by neglecting or slighting his gracious actings in themselves and others or by misjudging his work as calling faith, fancy or sincerity, hypocrisy and so on or by fathering those brats upon him that are the children of their own distempered hearts, that he may refuse to witness to their interest in him, though he be a witnessing spirit, and refuse to comfort them, though he be the only comforter.
The best believer that breathes <clears throat> may have this summer day turned into a winter night, his rejoicing into sighing, his singing into weeping, his wedding robes into mourning weeds, his wine into water, his sweet into bitter, his mana into angel's food, into husks, into mana, his angel's food into husks, his pleasant grapes into the grapes of Sodom, his fruitful Canaan, his delight paradise, delightful paradise into a barren and unlovely wilderness. Lucas' faith is often attended with unbelief and sincerity with hypocrisy and humility with vain glory, so is assurance with fears and doubts. Blessed Hooker lived nearly thirty years in close communion with God, without any considerable withdrawings of God all that while, and yet upon his dying bed he went away without any sense of assurance or discoveries of the smiles of God to the wonder and deceiving of the expectation of many precious souls, and without doubt in judgment to wicked men. Look, as many a man loses the sight of the city when he comes near to it, so many a choice soul loses the sight of heaven even then when he is nearest to heaven. Abraham, you know, had assurance in an extraordinary way concerning his protection from God. And yet, says Abraham, say thou art my sister, for otherwise they will kill me. Genesis 12, verses 13 and 20, verse 2. Ah, how was the freshness, the greenness, the beauty and glory of his assurance worn off, that he should out of slavish fears expose his wife to other men's pleasure, and himself and his neighbour to God's displeasure, that he should wound for at once the honour of God, his wife's chastity, his own conscience and Pharaoh's soul. David, you know, sometimes sings it out sweetly. The Lord is my portion, and the lot of mine inheritance. He is my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? He is my rock and fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength, my trust, my buckler, and my high tower. Psalm 18, verse 2. At other times you have him sighing it out. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Why hast thou forgotten me? Psalm 42, verse 5. O God! My rock, why go I mourning? Thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head, as an heavy burden they are too heavy for me. I am troubled, I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Psalm 38 verses 2 to 6. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. Psalm 30, verse 7. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, that the bones that thou hast broken may rejoice. Psalm 51, verse 12. His heart was more often out of tune than his harp. He begins many of his psalms sighing and ends them singing, and others he begins in joy and ends in sorrow. So that one would think, says Peter de Moulin, that those psalms have been composed by two men of a contrary humour. Yea, it is very observable that though David had assurance in an extraordinary way that he should be king, being anointed by the great prophet Samuel, yet the lustre and glory of this assurance wears off, and he, overcome by slavish fears, cries out that all men are liars, even Samuel as well as others, and that he shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. 
"'Tis true, says David, I have a crown, a kingdom in promise, but I must swim to the crown through blood. I must win the crown before I wear it, and the truth is, I am like to die before I attain it. Yea, and after he was king, when King Jesus did but hide his face, he was sorely troubled, so that neither his glorious throne, nor his royal robes, nor his golden crown, nor his glistering courtiers, nor his large revenues, nor his cheerful temper, nor his former experiences, could quiet him or satisfy him when God had turned his back upon him. Look as all lights cannot make up the want of the light of the sun, so all temporal comforts cannot make up the want of one spiritual comfort. So Job sometimes sings it out, My witness is in heaven, and my record is on high, and my Redeemer lives, and so on, Job 16:19 and 19:25. At other times you have him complaining, The arrows of the Almighty stick fast in me, and their poison drinketh up my spirit. Job 6.4 The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. And chapter 29, verses 2 to 5. You have him sighing it out thus, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me. Now by all these clear instances, and by many other saints' experiences, it is evident that the choicest saints may lose their assurance, and the luster and glory of it may decay and wither. What the soul should do in such a case, and how it should be covered out of this sad state, I shall show you towards the close of this discourse. Assurance is a personal matter. The sixth proposition is this that the certainty and infallibility of a Christian's assurance cannot be made known to any but his own heart. He can say, as the blind man once said, This I know, that once I was blind, but now I see. John 9.25 Once I was a slave, but now I am a son. Once I was dead, but now I am alive. Once I was darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. Once I was a child of wrath, an heir of hell, but now I am an heir of heaven. Once I was Satan's bondman, but now I am God's free man. Once I was under the spirit of bondage, but now I am under the spirit of adoption that seals up to me the remission of my sins, the justification of my person and the salvation of my soul. All this I know, says the assured saint, but I cannot make you know it certainly and infallibly if you would give me a thousand worlds. What I have found and felt and what I do find and feel is wonderfully beyond what I am able to express. I am as well able to tell the stars of heaven and to number the sand of the sea as I am able to declare to you the joy, the joy, the unconceivable joy, the assurance, the glorious assurance that God hath given me. Severinus, the Indian saint, under the power of assurance, was heard to say, O oh my God! Do not, for pity, so overjoy me. If I must still live and have such consolations, take me to heaven. So say souls under the power of assurance. Lord, we are so filled with joy and comfort, with delight and content, that we are not able to express it here on earth. And therefore take us to heaven, 
that we may have that glory upon us that may enable us to declare and manifest those glorious things that thou hast wrought in us, 1 Peter 1, eight. Parents do by experience feel such soundings, such meltings, such sweet workings of their affections and bowels towards their children, that for their lives they cannot describe to others what it is to be a father or to be a mother, what it is to have such compassions towards children. Assurance is that while white stone that none knoweth but he that hath it. Revelation 2.17 To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and give him a white stone, and in that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he, saving he that receiveth it. White stones were in great use among the Romans. 1. In white stones they used to write the names of such as were victorious and conquerors. So in the text... To him that overcometh will I give a white stone. They used to acquit the innocent in courts of justice by giving them a white stone. So here the white stone points out absolution and remission. They used to give a white stone to those that were chosen to any places of honour. So the white stone of assurance is an evidence of our election, of our being chosen to a kingdom that shakes not, to riches that corrupt not, and to a crown of glory that fades not. And thus much for this sixth proposition, that is, that the certainty and infallibility of a Christian's assurance cannot be made known to any but his own heart. Hebrews 12.28, Matthew 6.20, 1 Peter 1.4 Nine special seasons when assurance is enjoyed. Now, I think there's at least six um, lists after this. We're going to do the first three and then leave the rest until um, the next uh, episode in a couple of days' time. Nine special seasons when assurance is enjoyed. The seventh proposition is this, that there are some special seasons and times wherein the Lord is graciously pleased to give to his children a sweet assurance of his favour and love. And they are these that follow, one, at conversion. First, sometimes I say not always, at first conversion, the Lord is pleased to make out sweet manifestations of his love to the penitent soul. When that soul hath been long under guilt and wrath, when the soul hath been long under the frowns and displeasure of God, and hath long seen the gates of heaven barred against him, and the mouth of hell opened to receive him, When the soul hath said, Surely there is no hope, there is no help, surely I shall lose God, Christ and heaven for ever, then God comes in and speaks peace to the soul. Then he says, I will blot out thy iniquities for my name's sake, and will remember thy sins no more. Isaiah 43, 25. Hark, soul, hark, says Christ, my thoughts are not as your thoughts, nor my ways as your your ways. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 My thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and thoughts of love. Hark, soul, here is mercy to pardon thee, and here is grace to adorn thee, here is righteousness to justify thee, here is eye salve to enlighten thee, and gold to enrich thee, and raiment to clothe thee, and balm to heal thee, and bread to nourish thee, and wine upon the lees to cheer thee, and happiness to crown thee, and myself to satisfy thee. Ah, souls, have not some of you found it so? Surely you have. God deals sometimes with rebellious sinners as princes do with those that are in arms, that are in open rebellion against them. 
You know princes will put such persons hard to it. They shall fare hard and lie hard, chains and racks and what not shall attend them, and yet after the sentence is passed upon them, and they are upon the last step of the ladder of life, ready to be turned off, and all hope of escape is gone, then the prince's pardon is put into their hand. So the Lord brings many poor souls to the last steps of that ladder, to a hopeless condition, and then he puts their pardon into their bosoms. Then he says, Be of good cheer, I have received you into favour, I have set my love upon you, I am reconciled to you, and will never be separated from you. You know how God dealt with Paul, after he had awakened and convinced him, after he had unhorsed him and overthrown him, after he had amazed and astonished him, then he showed himself graciously and favourably to him, taking him up into the third heaven and making such manifestations of his love and favour, of his beauty and glory, of his mercy and majesty, as Paul was not able to utter. Acts 9.3 So upon the prodigal's return, the fatted calf is killed, and the best robe is put upon his back, and the ring is put upon his hand, and shoes on his feet. Luke 15.22-23 Some understand by the robe the royalty of Adam, others the righteousness of Christ, and by the ring some understand the pledges of God's love, rings being given as pledges of love, some the seal of God's spirit, men using to seal with their rings. Among the Romans the ring was an ensign of virtue, honour and nobility, whereby they were, that wore them were distinguished from the common people. I think the main thing intended by all these passages is to show us that God sometimes upon the sinner's first conversion and returning to him is graciously pleased to give him some choice and signal manifestations of his love and favour of his good will and pleasure, and that upon the following grounds. 1. The first ground, that they may not be swallowed up of sorrow, nor give up the ghost under the pangs and throes of the new birth. Ah, did not the Lord in some beams of love upon the soul, when it is magor misabib, a terror to itself, when the heart is a hell of horror, the conscience an akaldama, a field of black blood, when the soul is neither quiet at home nor abroad, neither at bed nor board, neither in company nor out of company, neither in the use of ordinances nor in the neglect of ordinances, how would the soul faint, sink and despair for ever? But now, when it is thus night with the soul, the Lord sweetly comes in and tells the soul that all is well, that he hath found a ransom for the soul, that the books are crossed, that all debts are discharged, and that his favour and love upon the soul is fixed, Job 33.24. And so God, by his sweet and still voice, speaking thus to the soul, quiets and satisfies it, and keeps it from sinking and despairing. To the second ground, God gives assurance sometimes at first conversion, that he may the more raise and inflame their love and affections to him, Ah, how does a pardon given when a man is ready to be turned off draw out his love and raise his affections to that prince that shows bowels of mercy when he is upon the brink of misery? So, when a poor sinner is upon the last step of the ladder, upon the very brink of hell and misery, now for God to come in and speak peace and pardon to the soul, ah, how does it inflame the soul? 
and works the soul to a holy admiration of God and to a spiritual delighting in God. The pulling of a sheep by King Antigonus with his own hands out of a dirty ditch as he was passing by drew his subjects exceedingly to commend him and love him. So King Jesus, pulling a poor souls out of their sins, and as it were out of hell, cannot but draw them to be much in the commendations of Christ, and strong in their love to Christ. Christ hath nothing more in his eye nor upon his heart than to act towards his people in such ways and at such seasons as may most win upon their affections. Therefore it is that sometimes he gives the strongest consolation at first conversion. Through the third ground, Christ sometimes at first conversion grants to his people the sweetest manifestations of his love, that they may be the more active, fervent, abundant and constant in ways of grace and holiness. He knows that divine manifestations of love will most awaken, quicken and engage the soul to ways of piety and sanctity. Look what wings are to the bird, oil to the wheels, weights to the clock, a reward to the coward and the lodestone to the needle, that are the smiles and discoveries of God to a poor soul at his conversion. The manifestations of divine love puts heat and life into the soul, it makes the soul very serious and studious how to act for God and live to God and walk with God. Ah, says a soul under the beams of divine love, it is my meat and drink, it is my joy and crown to do all I can for that God that hath done so much for me and to know me in darkness as to know me in darkness and to speak love to me when I was most unlovely, to turn my mourning into rejoicing and my hell into heaven. For the fourth ground, Christ sometimes at first conversion gives his people the sweetest manifestations of his love to fence and fortify them against Satan's fiery temptations. Before Christ shall be led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the Spirit of the Lord shall descend upon him like a dove, and he shall hear a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. That so he may be strong in resisting and glorious in triumphing over all the assaults and temptations of Satan. Ephesians 6:16. So many times at first conversion, the Lord makes sweet manifestations of his love to the soul, so that the soul may stand fast and not give ground, and in the sense of divine love may so manage the shield of faith as to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. The Lord knows that when he sets upon the delivering of a poor soul from the kingdom of darkness and translating it into the kingdom of his dear son, Satan will roar and rage, rend and tear, as he did him. Mark nine twenty five and 26 When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee to come out of him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. No sooner did Jesus Christ look with an eye of love, pity, and compassion upon the boy, but the devil in his rage and wrath falls a-rending and tearing of him as mad dogs do things they fasten upon. This poor child had never so sore a fit as now he was nearest to the cure. 
When rich mercy and glorious power is nearest the soul, then Satan must most storms and rages against the soul. Colossians 1.13 The more the bowels of Christ do work towards a sinner, the more furiously will Satan assault that sinner. Therefore, the more furiously will Satan assault that sinner. Um, Therefore, divine wisdom and goodness does the more eminently shine in giving the poor soul some sights of Canaan and some bunches and clusters of that land upon its first coming out of the wilderness of sin and sorrow. But that no soul may mistake this last proposition, give me leave to premise these two cautions. 1. The first caution. That God does manifest his love only to some at their first conversion, not to all. Though he dearly loves every penitent soul, yet he does not manifest his love at first conversion to every penitent soul. God is a free agent to work where he will and when he will, and to reveal to um, reveal his love how he will and when he will and to whom he will. It is one thing for God to work a work of grace upon the soul, and another thing for God to show the soul that work. God oftentimes works grace in a silent and secret way, and takes sometimes five, sometimes ten, sometimes fifteen, sometimes twenty, yea, sometimes more, before he will make a clear and satisfying report of his own work upon the soul. Though our graces be our best jewels, yet they are some things, sometimes at first conversion so weak and imperfect that we are not able to see their lustre. The being of grace makes our estates safe and sure. The seeing of grace makes our lives sweet and comfortable. The second caution, a man may at first conversion have such a clear, glorious manifestation of God's love to him and of his interest in God and his right to glory that he may not have the like all his days after. The fatted calf is not every day slain. The robe of kings is not every day put on. Every day must not be a festival day, a marriage day. The wife is not every day in the bosom. The child is not every day in the arms. The friend is not every day at the table, nor the soul every day under the manifestations of divine love. Jacob did not every day see the angels ascending and descending. Stephen did not every day see the heavens open and Christ standing on the right hand of God. Paul was not every day caught up to heaven, nor was John every day wrapped up in the Spirit. No saint can every day cry out, I have my Christ, I have my comfort, I have my assurance, as the Persian king cried out in his dream. I have Themistocles, I have Themistocles, Themistocles, I think. Job had his harp turned into mourning, and his organ into the voice of them that weep, Job thirty thirty one. The best of saints are sometimes put to hang their harps upon the willows, and cry out, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? And will he be favourable no more? Psalm 137, 2, 77, 7 and 9. 2. Before engaging in hard or dangerous service, Two, there is a second special reason or time wherein the Lord is pleased to give to his children a sweet assurance of his favour and love, and that is when he intends to put them upon some high and hard, some difficult and dangerous service. Oh, then he gives them some sweet taste of heaven beforehand. Now he smiles, now he kisses, now he embraces the soul, 
Now he takes a saint by the hand. Now he causes his goodness and glory to pass before the soul. Now he opens his bosom to the soul. Now the soul shall be of his court and counsel. Now the clouds shall be scattered. Now it shall be no longer night with the soul. Now the soul shall sit no longer mourning in the valley of darkness. Now Christ will carry the soul up into the mount, and there reveal his glory to it, that it may act high and brave, noble and glorious in the face of difficulties and discouragements. Christ did intend to put Peter, James and John upon hard and difficult service, therefore brings them up into an hype mountain, and there gives them a vision of his beauty and glory. There they see him transfigured, metamorphosed or transformed, there they see his face shining as the sun and his raiment glistering. Matthew seventeen one to six. In the mount he shows them such beams of his deity, such sparkling glory, as did altogether amaze them, transport them, and astonish them. And all this grace and glory, this goodness and sweetness, Christ shows them, to hearten and encourage them to own him and his truth to stand by him and truth, to make him and his truth known to the world, though hatred, bonds and contempt did attend them in so doing. Thus God dealt with Paul before he put him upon that hard and dangerous service that he had cut out for him. Acts 9 verses 1 to 23. He takes him up into heaven and sheds abroad his love in his heart and tells him that he is a chosen vessel. He appears to him in the way and fills him with the Holy Ghost that is, with the gifts, graces, and comforts of the Holy Ghost. And straightway Paul falls upon preaching of Christ, exalting of Christ, to the amazement and astonishment of all that heard him. And as he had more clear, full, and glorious manifestations of God's love and favour than others, so he was more frequent, more abundant, and more constant in the work and service of Christ than others. 2 Corinthians Corinthians 11 verses 21 to 33. And this has been the constant dealing of God with the patriarchs as with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and so on, and with the prophets and with Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and so on. When he hath put them upon weighty services, he hath shed abroad his love into their hearts, he hath set his seal upon their spirits, and made them to know that he hath set them as a seal upon his hand. He hath assured them of his countenance, and of his presence, and of his assistance. He hath told them through others, though others should desert them, yet he will stand by them, and and strengthen them, and support them, and uphold them with the right hand of his righteousness. He hath told them that his power should be theirs to defend them, and his wisdom should be theirs to direct them, and his goodness should be theirs to supply them, and his grace should be theirs to heal them, and his mercy should be theirs to pardon them, and his joy should be theirs to strengthen them, and his promise should be theirs to cheer them, and his spirit should be theirs to lead them. This And this hath made them as bold, bold as lions." This has made them steadfast and able to stand close to the work of God in the face of all dangers and difficulties. This has made them, with stout Nehemiah, scorn to desist or fly from the work of the Lord. This has made their bows to abide in strength, though the archers have shot sore at them. 
Now there are considerable reasons why God is pleased to give his children some sweet tastes of his love, (coughs) some assurance of his favour, when he puts them upon some hard and difficult service, and they are these that follow. One, the first reason, that they may not faint nor falter in his service, but go through it resolutely and bravely in the face of all difficulties and oppositions. When God put Joshua upon that hard service of leading and governing his people Israel, he assures him of his love and of his presence. Fear not, be of good courage, I am with thee, Joshua 1.6. And this makes him bold, hold on and hold out in the service of the Lord bravely and resolutely in the face of all discouragements. Choose you whom you will serve, whether your father's gods or the gods of the Amorites, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24.15 So when the Lord put Paul upon such service that occasioned bonds and afflictions to abide him in every city, Acts 20.23, he gives him a taste of heaven beforehand, and lifts up the light of his countenance upon him, and this makes him resolute and bold in the work of the Lord. Now Paul would not consult with flesh and blood, Galatians 1, 15 and 17. Now it is not reproaches, nor stripes, nor prisons, nor whips, nor perils, nor deaths, that can make him look back, having put his hand to the Lord's plough. Oh, the beamings forth of divine love upon his soul filled him with such courage and resolution that with Shammah, one of David's worthies, he stands and defends the shield when others fall and fly and quit the field. 2 Timothy 4, verses 16 and 17. 2. The second reason, God gives his people some tastes of his love, some sense of his favour, when he puts them upon hard and difficult services, because else he should not only act below himself as he is a wise God, a faithful God, a powerful God, a merciful God, a righteous God, but also act below his poor weak creatures. For what husband will put his wife, what father will put his child, what master will put his servant, what captain will put his soldier, what prince will put his ambassadors upon hard and difficult services, but they will smile upon them and speak kindly to them and make large promises to honour their persons and kindly to accept and nobly to reward their services. Surely none. And will God, will God who will give his glory, will not give his glory to those that have the most glorious things, suffer his glory to be clouded and eclipsed by the prudent actings of weak worms? Surely no. Isaiah 42 verse 8 and 48 verse 11. 3. The third reason. God lifts up the light of his countenance upon his people when he puts them hard upon hard and difficult services that they may never repent of listing themselves in his service. Ah, if the Lord did not warm the hearts of his people with the glorious, warm them with the glorious beams of his love, when he puts them upon hard work, they would be ready, when they meet with oppositions and hazards, to throw up all and to sit down lamenting and repenting that ever they were engaged in his service. They would be as peevish and as froward as Jonah, and with him venture a drowning to avoid... God's service. Ah, but now the Lord, by letting his goodness drop upon their hearts, and by putting an earnest penny into their hands, he causes them to go cheerfully on in his work, without sighing or repenting. The kisses and embraces of God do put such life, such spirit, 
such metal into their souls as makes them bid defiance to the greatest dangers and as crowns and as crowns them conquerors of the greatest difficulties ah says a soul that hath walked some turns in paradise what is dross to gold what is darkness to light what is hell to heaven no more are all difficulties and oppositions to me who have found the sweetness of divine grace and have had the happiness to lie in the bosom of God. Diocletian, the worst and last persecutor in all the ten persecutions, observed that the more he sought to blot out the name of Christ, the more it became legible, and to block up the way of Christ, the more it became passable. And whatever of Christ he thought to root out, it rooted the deeper, and rose the higher in the hearts and lives of the saints, among whom he had scattered the beams of his love, and the rich pearls of his grace. Such souls as once as have once been in the arms of God, in the midst of all oppositions, they are as men made all of fire, walking in stubble. They consume and overcome all oppositions. All difficulties are but as whetstones to their fortitude. The moon will run her course, though the dog barks at it. So will all those choice souls <coughs> that have found warmth under Christ's, ring, Christ's wings, run their Christian race in spite of all difficulties and dangers. The horse neighs at the trumpet, the leviathan laughs at the spear, so does a saint under the power of assurance laugh at all hazards and dangers that he meets with in the Lord's service. The sense of God's love and goodness makes him to triumph over the greatest difficulties. For the fourth reason, and lastly, God gives his people some tastes of his love, when he puts them upon hard and difficult services, that the mouths of the wicked may be stopped. Should God lay heavy burdens upon his people's shoulders, and not put under his fingers to give some ease, should God double their tail of brick and yet deny them straw? Should God engage them against a potent enemy and then desert them? Should God send them upon some weighty embassage and not give them proportional encouragements to them? What would the world say? Exodus thirty-two, twelve, Numbers fourteen, twelve to sixteen. Would they not say that he is a hard master and that his ways are not equal? Would they not say, verily, they are liars that say he is glorious in power and wonderful in counsel and infinite in mercy and admirable in goodness and rich in grace and unsearchable in his understanding? For surely, were he, he could not. He could not he would not put his children upon such hard and dangerous services, but he would own them and stand by them, he would assist them and smile upon them, he would be as careful to bring them bravely off as he had been ready to bring them freely on. Oh he could not see them in garments rolled in blood, but his bowels would yearn towards them, and he would arise and have mercy on them. Three, God gives his assurance during times of waiting. Three, then thirdly, waiting times are times wherein God is pleased to give his people some secret tastes of his love and to lift up the light of his countenance upon them. I waited patiently for the Lord, saith David, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, or out of a pit of noise, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. 
After God had exercised David's patience in waiting, he sweetly breaks in upon him and knocks off his bolts and opens the prison doors and takes him by the hand and leads him out of the pit of noise and confusion in which he was and causes his love and goodness so to beam forth upon him as causes his heart to rejoice and his tongue to sing. So after devout Simeon had waited for the consolation of Israel, that is, for Christ's coming, the Holy Ghost falls upon him and leads him to a sight of Christ in the temple, and this makes the good old man sing, Nunc Dimittis, now let thy servant depart in peace, Luke 2, verses 25 to 33. Ah, says Simeon, I have lived long enough. Now I have got Christ in my heart, and Christ in my arms, who is my light, my life, my love, my joy, my crown. Let me depart according to thy word. Ah, saints, I appeal to you. Have not many of you found by experience the sweet breathings of Christ upon you, even whilst you have been waiting at the door of mercy? While you have been weeping and waiting, hath not the Lord Jesus come in and said, Peace be to you. Waiting souls, be of good cheer. Tis I, be of good cheer. Your sins are pardoned. Surely you have. Hath not God made that word good unto you? Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 24. Yes. And hath he not made that good to you? They shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Isaiah forty-nine twenty-three. That is, they shall not be deceived or disappointed of their hopes and expectations that wait for me. Yes, and have you not found that word made sweet to your souls? Therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Yes, and hath not the Lord made that word good to you? The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Lamentations 3.25 Yes, waiting souls, remember this assurance is yours, but the time of giving it is the Lord's. The jewel is yours, but the season in which he will give it is in his own hand. The gold chain is yours, but he only knows the hour wherein he will put it about your necks. Well, wait patiently and quietly, wait expectingly, wait believingly, wait affectionately, and wait diligently, and you shall find that scripture made good in power upon your souls. Yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Hebrews 10.37, Habakkuk 2.3 He will certainly come, he will seasonably come, he will suddenly come, as the prophet Malachi speaks. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, Malachi 3.1. Well, I will say but this, if assurance of God's love be not a jewel worth waiting for, it is worth nothing. <laughs>